Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they asked and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Dictionary, the podcast explainer for all your questions before, during, and after your visit to the doctor. In this week's episode, we'll be focusing on a very important and common topic, which is childhood asthma. Fantastic. Well, let's talk about childhood asthma. I've heard the word asthma a million times and kind of have an understanding about what it is but couldn't really define it if someone asked me to. So what is the actual definition, doctor, of asthma? So asthma is a lung condition that's associated with what we call variable airflow limitation, meaning that the airway itself can become narrowed under certain circumstances. It's variable when that happens. We also see what we call airway hyperresponsiveness, meaning that the airway itself is much more sensitive to specific triggers that someone without asthma's airway is not. We can also see inflammation or a hostile environment in the airways, which can cause changes in the airway itself, more mucus being produced, changes in the muscle that's surrounding the airways. And as you can imagine, as the airway becomes much more narrow, it can be quite hard to breathe. And what does that narrowing lead to? So that leads to the classic symptoms we see in asthma. The most common one is that wheezing you may hear. That's that high-pitched whistling sound your child might make when trying to breathe if his or her symptoms are bad. It can also lead to cough and increased phlegm or sputum. You can get symptoms of chest tightness or being short of breath. And again, that's because you can't get enough air in. Now, these are called symptoms of airway obstruction or symptoms that we can see when your child's airways are blocked or narrowed. Is wheezing only caused by asthma? So no, not all wheezing in children is asthma. If your main concern in your child is wheezing, that's why it's important to see your doctor to help differentiate if this is true asthma or some other cause. For example, are they sick and could it be a pneumonia? Is it just reflux like heartburn? Or is there some sort of foreign body or item that's lodged somewhere in their airway causing this whistling sound? It's important to get your doctor involved to help make that distinction. How often are these symptoms experienced in childhood asthma? 
So asthma tends to be worse after being exposed to some sort of trigger, commonly things in the environment that can worsen your symptoms. So one of the most common ones, for example, is a virus or a cold. So whenever your child might get sick, it can make these symptoms a lot, a lot worse. Pets, air pollution or pollen or dust, even cold air, some chemical fumes, pollution or smoke, and even strong emotions like stress or anger are other examples of common triggers. Another very common trigger is exercise, and it may be that your child's symptoms are only evident after exercise in the first place. Do children outgrow asthma? So they can. Some children will develop asthma in adulthood. Some only experience symptoms after exercise or other triggers. So overall, it's definitely possible to outgrow it and no longer need puffers as an adult, but it's not a guarantee. How common is asthma? So asthma is the most common chronic disease of childhood. How prevalent asthma is depends on where you live in the world. It can be related to genetics, related to the environment around you. For example, do you live in a city or rural setting? So all these factors can play a role, but it is quite, quite common. Josh, how do genetics play a role in children developing asthma? So there is thought to be a strong genetic role for the development of asthma, and it's thought to be related to several different genes. For example, if you have a family history of asthma, or yourself or your partner has asthma, there's a higher likelihood that your child would have it as well. Also, some children have a tendency to have more of a heightened immune response, meaning that for whatever reason, their body is much more sensitive and likely to have their immune system triggered by things that normally wouldn't trigger another person's immune system. Now, these kids don't only have asthma, but they also have seasonal allergies. They have eczema. These go hand in hand with that heightened immune system, and this is called atopy. So genetics do play a role thought to be related to multiple different genes, like I said, and it can actually lead to multiple different conditions being associated with asthma as well. So for you, Josh, how is asthma actually diagnosed? So the diagnosis I'm going to be talking about is for preschool asthma, or for children between one and six years old, and I'll be touching upon asthma in children over six later in the episode. If they're under one, it's kind of challenging to diagnose asthma, and there are more common causes of wheeze in this group. So there are a couple of different criteria we need to see to make a diagnosis of asthma. First, we need to know that your child's experiencing the typical symptoms of asthma, those symptoms of airway obstruction we spoke about earlier. The wheeze, the cough, the trouble breathing, for example. We also need to know that these symptoms are reversible. And the way we check this is with specific puffers or medications, which we'll speak more about later. If they get better after using a puffer or one of these medications, we can say that these symptoms are reversible. Now again, we don't necessarily need to see this ourselves. If we get a story from you and give you a puffer, and the next time this happens, it makes your child's symptoms better, that's good enough for us. Lastly, we also want to make sure your child's symptoms are not caused by any other condition. And we can do this through our history and physical exam, and potentially even more tests if we need to. So to summarize, we need to see the symptoms of airway obstruction, like wheezing. We need to see that these symptoms are reversible and that there's no other cause for them. So the first time that this happens, we can say that they have suspected asthma, but to actually make the diagnosis, 
we need to see these symptoms two, three, four times. So on a recurrent basis to say for certain that your child has asthma. So if I'm hearing you right, you can't really diagnose asthma for certain the first time a parent comes to you with concerns about their child wheezing. Exactly. Because we need to see that your child's symptoms are reversible with treatment, even if the story sounds a lot like asthma. So for example, if you come to the doctor because one week ago your child was wheezing and looked like they were working hard to breathe after getting a cold, we can't say at that time 100% they have asthma. Are there special tests you can use to diagnose asthma? So there are, but this depends on your child's age. The special test is called pulmonary function testing and involves your child breathing through a specialized mouthpiece to measure specific parts of their breathing. As you can imagine, this requires you to be able to understand the instructions and be quite coordinated with your breaths, something that really young children aren't really able to do. So because of this, we don't really use this specific test in children under six years old. Josh, how do you know which puffer or treatment to use? So this depends on how frequent and severe your child's symptoms are. For example, if you went to the ER because your child is currently wheezing and is having problems breathing, we might have given them multiple doses of a puffer if it's mild or even a steroid pill with a puffer if it's severe to help decrease the inflammation in the airways and help them breathe. If we see them in office when they're not actively having these symptoms, we may just try an as-needed puffer for them called Ventolin or that blue puffer. If they're having symptoms almost every day, they're much more frequent or severe, we might also add on a standing puffer or a puffer to use every single day, even if you aren't having symptoms, which is orange. And one of the common ones is called Fluticasone or Flovent. Once we have improvement with these therapies, then we can say we either suspect asthma if it's the first time, or can confirm a diagnosis of asthma if it's a second or third or fourth time, etc. And what if they don't improve? Then we have to go back to the drawing board. For example, we have to make sure you're actually using the medication correctly. We need to make sure the medication is actually getting to the lungs. We also need to make sure we have the right diagnosis in the first place. Like I said earlier, one of the criteria for making a diagnosis of asthma is that we exclude any other cause. There could be other factors at play as well. Could there be really bad triggers that are really unavoidable for your child? Is there a new pet at home, for example? So when you think about all these different things when you're not improving with therapy. What is the best way to give my child these puffers? So if you've ever used a puffer as an adult, you probably know how challenging it can be to use them correctly. The number one reason children don't respond to medication is because the medication isn't really reaching your child's lungs. That's why for children, and even adults, we recommend using an aero chamber with a correctly fitted mouthpiece or face mask. This is a chamber that the puffer connects to on one side and goes around your child's mouth on the other side. This way it's much, much easier to get the medication from the puffer into your child's lungs. The medication lingers in the chamber, allowing your child to breathe it in with each breath rather than having to correctly coordinate their breaths and time it correctly with the puffer. This makes the experience much easier for a child and also importantly, much less frustrating for you. Now, a couple more things to mention. Make sure to shake the puffer before using it each time. Encourage your child to take slow and deep breaths when they're breathing in the medication and wait about 30 seconds between each puff. 
How do I know when my child's symptoms are well under control? What should I be looking for? So first of all, let's talk about what well-controlled even means. Our goal with asthma management is to allow your child to do everything that someone without asthma can do. We want no cough or other symptoms during the day, during the night, and in the early morning. We want you to have the ability to do normal activities. We want them to have near normal lung tests if they're even old enough to have this done. And we want no visits to the emergency room for asthma attacks. The easiest way to accomplish this and to know exactly when our goal isn't being reached is with an asthma action plan. And I'll give an example of this in the description below. This is a written plan that can help control your child's asthma. It details when to take medications and what to do when symptoms get worse. With their short-acting puffer, that blue puffer, or Ventolin, we want them to have to use it less than four times a week and have daytime symptoms less than four times a week. We want them to have nighttime symptoms less than once a week, including cough, wheezing, or difficulty breathing. So what do you do when these criteria aren't being met? That's where your doctor comes in. They can help develop a plan to make sure in the future that your child is able to meet their goal and able to do everything that a child without asthma could do as well. Tell me a little bit more about that as-needed puffer, or the blue puffer, and what are the side effects? So that blue puffer, also known as Ventolin or Salbutamol, is a short-acting puffer that can cause the muscles in the airway to relax and leads to the airway opening up, making it much easier to breathe. Now, what happens if you're giving your child this puffer or giving them multiple doses of it? It can actually make them quite hyper. It can make their heart rate go up, and they could even have a very slight tremor if they're getting multiple doses. But this is all in the short term because it's a really a short-acting puffer to open up their airways in that moment. How many puffs would you say? So usually the dose is one to two puffs as needed of this medication to help reduce any of the airway obstruction symptoms that we spoke about earlier, like wheezing or cough. And what about the orange puffer? What's this one and what are the side effects? So the orange puffer is the one we use all the time when your child is having more severe or frequent asthma symptoms. The specific medication in this puffer is inhaled steroid, which acts to counteract everything that happens in asthma, which we discussed at the beginning of the episode. That inflammation in the airway, the muscle tightening, the more mucus that's being produced, it helps counteract all of those things. Now, often when people hear the word steroid, they get really worried. I just want to reiterate that steroids are, for the most part, a very safe medication, and we would only use them if we feel that the benefits outweigh the risks for your child. There are some side effects that children may have with this puffer, but again, not all children get these. Sometimes it can cause a more hoarse-sounding voice. You can develop thrush, which is a white fungus in the mouth, which is treatable. And for some children, it causes you to grow a little bit slower which corresponds to a change of about 0.6 centimeters in height when compared to normal children not using this medication in the first year, which is quite small. And how long does it usually take to work? So we can typically see improvement in one to two weeks and see maximal improvement in one to two months. We also like to use, as you'd imagine, the lowest dose possible for your child. Sure. So we often have to try different doses to see what this number is for them. 
Are there any other medications that are used in treating childhood asthma? Now, there are other ones we can try if the inhaled steroid or the short-acting Ventolin doesn't work, but these are much less common. Some are like longer-lasting forms of Ventolin that can be combined with the inhaled steroids in older children if symptoms aren't under good control. And an example of this is called Advair. Others work by a completely different mechanism to help open up the airways and again are used more commonly in older children. And an example of this is called Singular or Montelukast. Lastly, there are also some oral medications we can use if your asthma is quite severe or if your child's having a severe asthma attack or exacerbation and ends up in the ER. Lastly, what resources do you recommend for more information on childhood asthma? So the Canadian Pediatric Society, or CPS, has a great online resource about asthma, including a sample asthma action plan. Also, there's a website called About Kids Health, which is through Sick Kids or the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, and has a ton of information about asthma, about triggers, the medications used, how to best control your child's asthma, and I'll link both of these in the description below. That's great. Well, Josh, thank you so much for uh, taking us all to school when it comes to childhood asthma. Thanks, Jake. And as always, if you guys have any other questions, feel free to make another appointment with your doctor. You can email us at thedoctordictionary at gmail.com or tweet us at the Doctor Dictionary. I'd like to thank Dr. Ostriker, a pediatrician at Northwark General Hospital, for peer-reviewing this episode, as well as Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. Thank you all for listening. We hope you found this useful.